welcome to another episode of Elephant at the Room. And I love these episodes. We've got not one, but two guests on. That's right, it's Mr. Charlie Hilton. Hello. And a new guest, a debut for Mr. Bruce Henman Locke. Hello there. How are you doing? How are you both, how are you both doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you, Bruce? Yeah, pretty decent. Can't complain. Lovely. We are all music students, and more specifically, we all do the film music module. And that is the inspiration for today's episode. So we're going to be diving deep into different composers, the importance of music in film, and more about our module as well. So speaking about what we've done for the last few weeks, which I think will be of interest, hopefully, to some people. So I'll start by asking you both, firstly, what is the importance of music in film? How important is it? Well, it's kind of interesting, to be honest, because, um, well, let's take two examples. So we've got Baby Driver. Everyone knows what Baby Driver's like. Lots of popular music in it, really affecting the flow of the film. And the perception of all the events and actions going along with the musical rhythms and stuff, it's, well, it's very together, isn't it? It brings the whole film into a more of a dynamic aspect, whereas... A film like A Quiet Place, which has barely any music in it and it's solely based on the silence of the film, the absence, absence of music is almost as important as the music in Baby Driver. Um, kind of telling the story along with the visuals, accompanying it, and giving you an understanding of, well, the emotions and the music and the vibes of the film, I yeah. guess. I think the absence of music is, is just show, goes to show how important music is in that you really notice when there are scenes um, or particular moments when music is absent because for me it highlights how important that particular dialogue or moment of the film is as well because the lack of music just makes you really focus in on what's going on what's your take on that um i think a large part of it is also to do with setting the vibe of the film as well so giving it kind of a, a color or something like with star wars for example it's very sci-fi sounding um and it makes you understand the universe a bit better like what's being created and stuff like that um and it can also suggest what genre the film is as well like if it's comedic music you'll think oh it's probably a comedy or if it's serious music you'll think it's like a drama or something so what films i mean you mentioned two great examples there in baby driver and a quiet place and so let's yeah let's start with looking at something like baby driver and maybe try and think of other examples as we do that film has been lauded by many since its release as one of the great soundtracks in a number of years. Firstly, why do you think that is? And secondly, how do you think it... I mean, you mentioned a bit about it, but how do you think it incorporates music into its story? Um, well, one really specific scene I remember from Baby Driver is... Um, well, I hope there's no spoilers, but um, with the song Hocus Pocus, the uh, yeah, one, um, the... The hits on the guitar were completely in time with the bullets being fired from a gun. And it just sticks in your head the way the music is, is basically being created by this, by this gunshot. Yeah. And um, also the intensity of the song as well within it is very much an impactful and action-filled scene. So it's just like, um, well, like Charlie was saying, it just fits the vibes of the scenes really well. But in a way that you don't like have in normal, let's say, orchestral scored music and such. And you're right about... So obviously the director of that film is Edgar Wright and he's previously 
directed films like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And particularly with Shaun of the Dead, the way he incorporated sound, apart from it being a brilliant film, <laughs> but the way he incorporated sound in like the uh, the when the when the pictures moved, there was sounds of a really specific of the crisp crunching and a beer down on the table. And uh, when they go into little moments, like we have to kill Phil and, and that those kind of little cuts. Um, I just felt that the music, not, not even music, but the sound effects were really important to how that film was run. So it was nice to explore. And at the start of the film, you even see it, that the music literally is in time with everything he does. And, there was a mention as well. He's obviously listening to it. You're you're literally following his his story. So when you've got his, you've seen the film, haven't you? No, I haven't. Oh, you haven't. Okay. So when when the the main character has earphones in, apparently if you listen to it with headphones and he's only got one earphone in, you only hear it through one headphone. So right. It's really interesting. So they panned it based on what the character can hear. So the exploration of sound in that is is fantastic. Mm. I definitely give it a watch. It's been recommended to me a few times. Uh, I need to set aside some time to watch it. Um, yeah, what genre is it? I'd say it's a bit of a comedy and action. With with Edgar Wright and obviously his films before, I think they're more kind of dark comedies. This one has a lot of action in, but also is funny at funny at moments as well. Is it a British film? No, no. So it's not like Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz vibe. No. no. Okay. It's more like a Hollywood. Definitely. Thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Take them plus blockbuster. Hmm. So what, can you think of any examples of where a film really explores the use of sound or, or music? And Well, I think Tarantino's a great example. The one that I was thinking of the other day was in um, Pulp Fiction, which is where um, whatever John Travolta's character's name is walks into a room and there's music playing and then there's this woman who's get, getting ready and can like see him on the CCTV. You know the bit I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then she comes downstairs and she turns off the stereo and then the music stops so it's only at that point you realize that the music was actually coming from uh, a source that was inside the film so like john travolta's character could actually hear that as well so i like that kind of depth perception of music as well where you think oh is it am i the only person hearing this or is is, is the character hearing that um and another one i guess i know it's a cliche one to say but things like star wars and a lot of john williams scores just the way that the music is almost consistent all the way through, and like it's constantly playing, and he kind of creates a world within the music as well. So you can literally just listen to the music and you go, "That is Indiana Jones music." I feel like I'm um, Indiana Jones or whatever. So I feel like you can be as subtle as just playing the song, like I guess like in Baby Driver, actual songs like Hocus Pocus or whatever, and then actually full scores, which just kind of encapsulate the whole mood. With um, something like Star Wars with John Williams, we don't know the score apart from the movie. So, how, how much do you think the movie elevates, or vice versa? How much do you think they both elevate each other? Because if you were just introduced to that music on its own, you know, would it still give you the same emotional feel? Probably not, but I wonder how important each other are to... I don't think the film elevates the music as much as the music elevates the film. Okay. I think I'd say that. I think in um, isolation, if you listen to any of Williams stuff, it, it just sounds like Holst or Stravinsky or Mahler or whatever. So in isolation, you could just consider it to be another piece of classical music um, or under the classical blanket. Um, but I think what it does to the film is incredible. So if you think of like Jurassic Park, when you first see like the first dinosaur you see and that music comes on, it's like it would have been great without the music just to see that, especially at the time at 93, whenever it was. 
and then just the music itself by itself is nice and then when they're in conjunction with each other I feel like the scene is lifted by the music I can't really think of many instances where what's on screen makes the music better necessarily maybe if there's some really obvious cadential points or like Mickey Mousing or something where it's kind of interacting with the music but I feel like music itself is there to elevate the scene okay and should we touch on as well you mentioned Quiet Place um that has an extreme exploration of how sound is used. Um, so you can either talk about Quiet Place or if you have any other examples of... Well, yeah, I guess I'm going to uh, read up my favourite film now. Um, <laughs> so The Thing by John Carpenter, um, actually scored by Ennio Morricone, who's um, very much the good, the bad and the ugly guy. Um, it was very much a limited soundtrack, um, basically revolving around one note being repeated like a heartbeat almost and the whole point of the thing the film is you've got this monster you don't know who it is it could be any one of us it's like it's very much a tense situation and the music is the music just basically builds on that you know the heartbeat kind of heartbeat yeah just throughout the whole film it's just um it's basically reminding you there's something with you in this room you don't know what it is. It's just like you could be any one of you. you even you, do, you couldn't even know if it's yourself. And um, it's the lack of the music, like because um, it's set in a, in a, um, I think it's in somewhere on the north side of, of the of the world, like you know, in the ice region. Antarctica. Antarctica, I think so. Yeah. Was that south? That's south, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the North Pole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Santa's the monster or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and the isolation in that space as well. It's, um, well, the lack of music builds on that, you know. You're very much away from the rest of the world. You're stuck here. Yeah, it's, um, I guess, like a quiet place. It builds on the tension of this scene, basically. So lack of music is really... I kind of feel like it's mostly attributed to tense moments. Yeah, I think where I like music being absent most is in uh, comedy. I've never been a fan of being patronised by a composer by playing funny music when I should be laughing or something. I feel like... talk about the old school comedy in particular. Yeah. The, what's it called? Slapstick, Slapstick and yeah. things like that. And I think a lot of Peter Sellers films, a lot like the Pink Panther films, for example, there's some really, like, intense violence, which is funny. And they never play music over it, so you can hear... You can hear, like, him hitting someone with a cricket bat you can actually hear the connection between the skull and the cricket bat and obviously no one's going to get up from that but they do and it's just like a funny thing or like laurel and hardy or um who'd be another one like um the goon show things like that where you, even though funny things are happening it's not funny music and i feel like in a lot of more modern films they play music which is kind of suggestive to say you should be laughing though this is a funny bit um, like pizzicato strings like it's just such a cliche they always do it like people are walking and doing something funny I'm like oh it's really not funny a good example actually is Home Alone in the first two films there's very little music when the burglars are being beaten up and got all the booby traps in the third film which is an abomination <laughs> in the fourth film which is awful detrital um, there's music happening dum 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 I'm like oh god it's it cheapens the film and I really can't stand that. And I, I feel like that with uh, with a lot of John Williams um, and kind of like Alan Silvestri, that their music is quite ambiguous to where even if it's major or minor, you're not necessarily sure, oh, this is happy, this is sad. 
it's more about um, direction and, and pace. So, like, if you see stormtroopers moving, there'll be some music which is injected with a certain tempo. But it's not like, this is a really happy bit, so this is really good, and things like that. And I feel like music that's like that, a lot of library music is like that, funnily enough, but I just feel like a lot of modern films, it's just very obvious. And it's like, I want to have some happy music here, have a <laughs> love scene here, do you know what I mean? Mm. It's a great point on comedy. Yeah, even when you think about the modern comedy comedy films, um, things like Bridesmaids and The Hangover, I can't think of any particular score. They just use a lot of popular music in, in moments, but yeah, it's not doesn't seem to be much of a place for music with, with comedy sketches. I agree. Yeah. And you mentioned two composers there, so let's talk about them, because I'm not sure if it's just me, but when I have conversations with people now, especially over the last few years, it seems like the rise of... So it's not just the actors, it's the rise of oh, who directed it and also who composed the music. So for things like Tenet or Dune, the big, the big films that have come out the last few years, there's been a lot of talk of who's composed it, which is nice because it feels like people are m- maybe recognising particular styles and, and why someone, my composer, might fit for a film. So have you got any favourites that you wanted to talk about and, and yeah, just kind of a wide talk about different composers and, and their features as well. I feel like me and Bruce should briefly, <laughs> ve- very briefly, oh, touch no. on someone who we like. Um, <laughs> Can we... No, you know what, just go, go for it. It's your... <laughs> just quickly just quickly do it, and then we'll just get it out of the way. There's quite a um, well, a relatively unknown composer called Vince DiCola. I've never mentioned him on any podcast. Um, he famously... I guess it, the, his most two common projects would be Rocky Four and uh, the Transformers uh, movie, the animated movie in the 80s. Um, And he does a lot of game music since, things like collaborating with Angry Birds, people like that. And I love his music, and one of the main reasons why I love his music is because it's synthesised score, so it's not using uh, the conventional orchestra. And I really, really like that, and I like the different sounds, because there's only so many sounds you can get from a violin or whatever from an orchestra, and using synthesis is just like um, like 250 sounds in one track, and there's loads of things where you can be really precise with timings and with different meters and all that. Um, so I love his music. It's really cheesy. It's very 80s. It's also quite prog as well. I'd say it's very progressive. He was definitely influenced by um, 1970s British progressive bands. Um, but yeah, Bruce, go on, talk a bit about Vince DiCola. He was uh, one of the first composers to use synth instruments, wasn't he? Yeah. In general. Um, oh, how do I put it? Um, <laughs> yeah, very poppy music, very much uh, upbeat, even for the Rocky Four soundtrack. Um, the way he does it, he kind of like uses instruments we are familiar with, like guitar or bass, and then, well, synthesizes it. So, like you said, a really punchy sound. And, um, or oh, the genre of, like, let's say the Transformers film, where you've got these animated robots fighting each other. It really fits the uh, kind of uh, sci-fi, machine kind of vibes. And, um, well, with the intensity of lasers flying everywhere, the uh, synth noises really do suit it. It's just, um, well, it's very nostalgic for me. But, uh, yeah, it's a very memorable soundtrack, in my opinion, because it's just so, it was so out there. It's um, not orchestral. It's... Relatively poppy, but at the time it was... Well, yeah, it was unconventional, wasn't it, really? Yeah, and I think it's funny if you can compare Star Wars to Transformers, which actually 
isn't actually too dissimilar when you look at the storylines, things like that. And this is the old Transformers, by yeah. the way, for people that yes. get confused. The good stuff. Yeah, yeah the, the old Transformers in 86, was it? Started in 84. 84, and then whenever it came out. Um, they are both sci-fi. You've got Star Wars and Transformers. And you think, well, if you swap those music around, it really wouldn't work. And I would go as far to say it wouldn't work. And I feel like the reason is because Transformers, the animated film, is all about mechanics. And it's um, really colourful. And it's doing a lot of things which you wouldn't be able to shoot back in the 80s, obviously, because yeah. of the camera angles. So I feel like the music elevates that. Um, but a massive criticism I would have of, of Vince DiCola, which is kind of impossible for someone like John Williams, is um, John Williams used a medium which is basically timeless you can't date an orchestra it's impossible i think it's impossible for an orchestra to sound dated because first of all it's been going on for four or five hundred years and also it's still with us today and they're just acoustic instruments that a lot of people play whereas what vince decola did which i would say he did wrong but he didn't know he's doing it wrong and it's is a common kind of cliche against all these people is they use the technology that was available for them at the time too much so he used synthesis too liberally which means that as soon as you're out of the 80s people go oh that that that's that sounds 80s. 80s. Mm. that's really 80s you never ever ever say john williams sounds 70s or say john williams sounds 80s it just doesn't happen you don't say oh that orchestra sounds a bit dated because it can't because we're still listening to it today it's happened for it's almost like it was dated for 300 years when it came out it's like there's no time on it and i feel like a film like the matrix which uses synthesized score as well as orchestrated score and puts them together Hans Zimmer does that a lot with Dark Knight things like that having synthesized and an orchestrated is a nice way to kind of combine them but I feel like what Vince DiCola did with those scores is he used synthesis so liberally that within a few years it was really dated and you can very much tell when it's come from which I don't think is a great thing a lot of the time no but I, I, I love the music and it's still great and but I just say if I could make one criticism, I would just say maybe just try and use more orchestral instruments in there that aren't synthesized to kind of give it more longevity. So with John Williams, obviously when he composes the music, he's composing for films like Star Wars, Harry Potter, or Indiana Jones, whereby you don't have a you don't really know the location, let alone well it's not a real location, let alone the time zone. So I like the idea of him composing music that you can't set a particular time or date to because it you can't. Um, it doesn't exist, so... Yeah, and with Vince Cola, I don't know what films he produces music for, but I guess maybe part of it is they have more of a time stamp um, on them. For example, like Rocky's in the 70s, 80s. Yeah. Um, but mm -hmm. I know what you mean. It's kind of... It, because he uses... He over-emphasises his use of the newer technology at the time. You, it's easier to date it. Yeah. I think that's the reason why he, he kind of went out of fashion, especially in the 90s. He did those two films back-to-back, -back, and then as soon as the 90s hit, you've got films like... Um, I mean, Pulp Fiction's a great example, Fight Club, any Tom Hanks film. It's like, that just wouldn't work anymore. It, it's so dated, and it's almost 85, 86 was too late for that to happen because MIDI had been around already for three years. Um, but then he's, more recently, in the last 20 years, he's done a lot of game music, which I really, really enjoy. Um, and that's fine because that can sound really dated because all of the game music is kind of inspired by that 80s sound as well. Like, think about Mario. That just sounds like an 80s fusion band so many times. It's already jazzy. Um, but, yeah, have you listened to much of his latest stuff, like all his game stuff? Uh, I have recently. I've, I was searching him up, actually. He's done quite a few more recent Transformers games as well. Yeah. So, another the Transformer game that's basically got that kind of cell shaded vibe. He scored for that, and it's... 
well, it's got the nostalgic aspect because it came out last decade, I think. But with John, with uh, John Williams, for example, when he scores, let's say, Star Wars, it's in the galaxy far, far away a long time ago. That's a very ambiguous era, like you said. But I feel like with Vince Nicola, it's not so much about the era, it's about the context. So these Transformers, they change shape. That's their gimmick. And um, I feel like with the synth music, it's very much... By the way, the Transformers noise is made, it's synth noise, isn't it? So yeah. I feel like his music builds upon it. So I'm, I'm remembering a specific scene where this whole city is transforming. Oh, yeah. And you've got Vince Dakota in the background playing this music as if... It's basically, yeah, it's the music is building upon the transformation. And I feel like that's why Vince Dakota is a very specified and niche musician because his music, aside from Rocky Four and beating people up, um, <laughs> it's it suits the brief very well in terms of, you know, matching the uh, visuals with the music. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think he's, he's kind of a double-edged sword because you either say to him, you... Um, suit the brief and you satisfy the brief 100% but in 10 years time this is going to be a dated piece of shit or you say to him you say um, don't satisfy the brief 100% but this music will have kind of a, a longer duration of pleasure for everyone and I feel like John Williams just hit the nail on the head there and he, he wrote something that was good for the time is still good now Vince DiCola there'll never be a score like that again it's not used, it's been overdone, it's not popular anymore, which is a shame in some ways, but it's still popular in game music. But just using MIDI that that ferociously, like he, it is obvious that it's MIDI. I mean, we're not like, this is not speculating, it's very obvious. And it's like, it's great, but it just slaps a date on it. And it's not, well, I suppose it's nice revisiting films because, as you said, you're not going to see the score again. So when you watch these films, you're more likely to have heard something similar to something that John Williams can compose. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of him, why he, he I've spoken about him a number of times. He's top of my Spotify perhaps last year. Why is he, it's, it seems clear to me that he's in his own league. Why do you think that is? Ooh, um, well, that's interesting I say own league because I, I honestly do believe that and I think a lot of people go, oh, John Williams, all that. But I honestly think, like, when I think of the best composers, I don't ever think of him. He's just like a, the granddad of film score. Do you know what I mean? I just don't think he's like in an unbelievable league. Um, one of the reasons why I'd say is actually, if you look at when he became a composer, like a famous composer, when he first started doing things like Jaws and Close Encounters, he was in his 40s, I think, or in his 30s or 40s. It's quite late on. And all of his music sounds like it can only come from a mature being. And I think it really does. And I think one thing he does is he has continuity in all of his films where you know it sounds like him, so he's got a very obvious sound, which is great. And he also manages to create textures and melodies that accompany incredible films and I think that's one of the reasons why he's so successful is because he picks and chooses the films he does they aren't half good are they and it's like <laughs> can you think of like a shitty film that John Williams has done the score for it's like not really no and it's like even if you don't like it that is so famous and incredible and I feel like he collaborates obviously a lot with Lucas a lot with Spielberg um, mostly with Spielberg and I feel like he found his match that you've got Williams and Spielberg working together he said yes to the right things. He said no to the right things. And at, at the base of it, he's just an amazing musician. Uh, yeah. Do you? What do you think about that Bruce being in his own league? I think Charlie's hit the nail on the head. The music 
he's written is it's great, but the films he's written the music for is also a very big factor. Like yeah, you're saying Jaws, even Superman. Uh, E.T. Yeah, he did the first few Harry Potter films as well, didn't he? Yeah, first three, yeah. Yeah, so... All six Star Wars? All... I think he did maybe all nine as well. He didn't do Rogue One, I know that, but... um, Yeah, I think he did nine, but obviously his main six would be the the first six. The good ones. Yeah, the the, the very good ones. (laughs) We don't talk about the other three. No, we don't. What's interesting, though, with John Williams' score, it was so impactful that you even hear it in the new TV shows that say Mandalorian or Boba Fett. Yeah. And while we've got a new composer there, Ludwig Göransson, you still hear the inflictions of John Williams in this new new TV show. That's true. But, but people use his themes all the time. It's often credited um, themes by, like, based on themes by John Williams. Um, another thing is he's unbelievably rich now, as he should be, and I would, I would double his bank account if I could. I really would, because he deserves every penny. I'm like... It's just the amount of money that he's been given. I mean, is it enough for what he's done? Possibly, but he doesn't know how it's affected people as much as it had. And I, I really don't think because he can only see people um, that he's directly affected, but he doesn't see how that person's affected someone else with that and how that person's affected someone else. And mm-hmm. he's changed a lot of people's lives in many ways, a lot of composers and a lot of the, the way we compose. Just people you mentioned in there, he's obviously influenced them because they're obviously going to like copy him and, and pastiche him for things. Um, but the reason why his his bank account is so important is because if you look at the films he made in the 70s, so Jaws, which was 75, Close Encounters 77, he wasn't a rich composer at that point, and you can tell because of the way he was writing the things he could afford, the orchestra, things like that. Now he gets so many people to do things for him. And I know he obviously writes the music, but he'll have an orchestrator he'll have this person, this person, this person. And he's got so many people who he can afford to employ. So now it's just he isn't limited by technology or money, which I think is really, really important. And it's similar with directors, you know, with like a budget for a film. Like Tarantino's rise from Reservoir Dogs was a very cheap film to, to make. Absolutely, um, yeah. In fact, like, actually funny that you say that um, Michael Madsen had to use his own car um, because they couldn't afford to, yeah. to to rent a car for him. So, and then you look at that compared to things like Inglorious Bastards and Django, which just have incredible budgets. Uh, I'll ask a question to both of you about John Williams. I know my answer, but what would you say, I- excluding the obvious, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter, Jurassic Park, what is your favourite John Williams score, which maybe is slightly deeper into his catalogue? What, what would you say? Because I... I Personally, mine would be Hook, which I love that film and I love what he does. And one of the reasons is it's a direct comparison between him and Zimmer, both pirate films. And I love what John Williams does with it. There's an amazing jazz track on there. Um, and I love that film. It's just beautiful. And I feel like even though it's a well-known film, it's kind of buried in his catalogue because of all the other successes. So I think Hook is probably one of my favourites. Um, but yeah, any of you guys got any others that are like did, really good? Does he do Jurassic Park? Yeah. Yeah, so do, 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 do. I don't know what that was. That's, uh, I think it's the intro theme to Jurassic Park. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, it's a, what's the other main main uh, piece? Da, 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 da. Yeah, incredible. So, would you say, I mean, I did say excluding Jurassic Park, but you can choose that if what you about want. Indiana Jones? I'd said excluding that. <laughs> all the big words, all the big names, you know. Just just any others. Is this like a test? Um, no, no. Do you know I... John Williams, really? 
apart from his main scores. Um, do you know that could be a really fun thing to do? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just saying because you've got all these successful scores, but I feel like we should just forget them in like the film. So something like Jaws. Do you like that? I'd say it's one of my lesser favourite pieces. Mm. Um, but it works perfectly for the film. Mm. I like that. There's another, there's another one which is a Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio film, Catch Me If You Can. I've heard of it. I've not seen Brilliant it. Brilliant film, um, which he did in 2003, which is an amazing score. Um, yeah, I, I think Hook's great. I'm trying to think about E.T. is unbelievable. Mm. That's really good. Did you do Titanic? No. Um... That'd have been cool. That'd been really cool. Wasn't it interesting to hear our module tutor say that he handwrites the scores and that someone comes to collect them to give them to the director and that's the only copy that he has? Yeah, and if the postman loses it, it's gone forever. Mm. Well, imagine if that cyclist gets hit by a car. Mm. Like, that is the music is probably disappearing. Yeah. Yeah, you've ruined Star Wars 10 now. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking. But that, he, he doing... doesn't own a computer, though. That's what he said. In, yeah. That's what he said. He doesn't own a computer. That's true. Yeah. He is doing Indiana Jones 5, possibly, which is coming out in 2023. I feel sorry for Harrison Ford. <laughs> Hopefully, he doesn't do it. I think Harrison Ford's in his 70s, isn't he? Well, I think John Williams is 89. So if John Williams is still alive at that point, he'll probably yeah. score it. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned the, the module just. Uh, actually, in fact, just before, there's a couple of other composers that are worth mentioning. I think Thomas Newman's massively inspired me, um, mm. uh, particularly American Beauty. I just can't believe that it's such a unique score for the film. Um, it's a film that it's not particular. It's not particularly fan. Well, it's not fantasy driven, is it? Really, it's very. Um, it's quite realistic. Um, it's just got a few few characters in it. Um, not partic- Not too many scene uh, settings, and. I don't know. The score is just incredible, and it but it fits so well in my in my opinion. I listen to it a lot. But he also obviously does quite a few Pixar films that match the beauty of the ocean, for example, in Finding Nemo. Have, have you got him up there, Bruce? I do. Um, did he do the Green Mile, nineteen ninety nine? I think he, he did. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say because his music's really recognisable. So that's I love that film, the Green Mile. It's an amazing film. And I love Thomas Newman. I love, yeah, like I said, Nemo, things like that. 1917? Yeah. It, it, just the way he writes music is is beautiful. And he uses strings as probably his cliche, like that he does. He always uses beautiful strings and amazing melodies. I love Thomas Newman. He's absolutely amazing. And, yeah, I feel like it's actually a challenge to do kids' films, to do quite infantile projects, but make it so mature. Yeah. yeah. One of his films... Wally, um, amazing film, one of my favourite Pixar films. Amazing. It wouldn't be the same if it wasn't for the music. Like, there's a bit of him just, Wally just creeping through the spaceship and he got this, well, your cliche pizzicato strings in the kind of tiptoe fashion, even though he's got tyre tri- tri- caterpillar tracks on his legs or something. But um, yeah. It's very, again, it's, it suits the brief. That's the, uh, that's the beauty of uh, film music. If it does fit the film, it makes the film so much better. So let's say. So we were doing this project in a uh, in film score and film study, where Reservoir Dogs was dubbed over with other pieces of music, and there was a big discussion whether it suited it or not. So some of us said it's horrible, it doesn't suit it, it's completely weird. Whereas others were like, that's kind of funny, it's weird how it still works with that. But at the same time, it yeah, it's just there are some songs or some scores in films which just don't work. Yeah, there there are. 
and I can think of I'm trying to think of actual films where I've been to the cinema or I've watched a film where I go that score is really poor I'm trying to think of one this will be an edit because we're going to have a minute of silence I, I didn't love both Tenet and June I didn't love the scores um, particularly Tenet I just thought it was I remember it being very very low in in tone pitch it was yeah yeah it was definitely more background music because again it was the same composer who did Mandalorian and Boba Fett okay and well, also Black Panther as well I think mm. so. brilliant music well yeah. that's, speaking of Black Panther and all things MCU Alan Silvestri um, amazing um, composer um, one of the first scores I was introduced was he did um, Predator back in 87 one of the first films he ever did obviously did Back to the Future amazing I love Back to the Future films and the music. And then, yeah, all the MCU stuff. So he's an amazing composer. He has to create a lot of themes, which is which is not difficult. So not uh, easy to do. Um, and, yeah, I really like Alan Silvestri. He's great. He also did a film that is, for some reason, is dividing, is The Polar Express. I love that film. And he did the music for that, which is great. Um, I really like him. I think him and Thomas Newman actually have got a lot in common. And they're also a similar age, similar time. Um, I feel like people like John Williams were very much before that mm. um, in the 70s. Um, what about any new composers, like new like contemporary composers? Nothing springs to mind for me. Yeah, only the guy who's doing, why well, well, I keep repeating it, Mandalorian. Yeah. Is there anyone I can think of who's come up recently? Yeah, I'm trying to think of like, someone in their 20s or 30s. Because I think the fact that we're struggling shows that a film composer almost has to be older with experience so that you write well. It's not like charts where you no. can just bang out anything. Yeah, and I think part of it is films have to be around for quite a while. Um, so the the recent Pixar films, those composers don't spring to mind, but the older films, we mentioned a lot of films in the 80s and like late like up, they're kind of early, early 10, so over 10 years ago now, um, Wally, Monsters, Inc., so yeah, actually, while while we're on that, um, another animated film is Shrek, and that is for me very different in that it's brought it. I felt that it brought back to life certain songs. So Funky Town, most most young people hear that just think of Shrek, and uh, All Star, All Star, yeah, that that song doesn't have an existence without Shrek. Uh, so it's. It's interesting that it's... I can't remember much of the compositional score that was just composed for Shrek, but I, I, the use of popular music in those films was really successful, I thought. Yeah. even had Immigrant Song in the third one. It did, yeah. For a very brief part of it. Mm. Which is always good, yeah. Fantastic. And they also had Barracuda. Yeah. Hearts, didn't they? <laughs> I Need a Hero, their rendition of it as well. It's quite good. Top yeah. of the World, Carpenters in the fourth one. Live in the Vida Loca. Oh, yeah. Sung by a cat. <laughs> Fun fact about Live in the Vida Loca, you ready? That was the first song ever to be recorded on a door. Wow. Mm. Wow. Like, isn't that amazing? It does sound very crisp. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's an interesting fact, though. No worries. That's new every day. <laughs> uh, and that, that brings me on to yeah, a couple of last things. Um, the use of uh, popular music in, in films compared to composing a score for a film. How do you think they differ? And do you think... Is there an argument to say that one's better than the other, or does it really depend on context and what the film's about? We might have an argument here, Bruce. I mean, we might not. I am not a massive fan of using songs in films. Never have been. I don't like associating films with songs. I feel like songs should stand up by themselves without association. You have an example of that, don't you? 
more recently, I think, like, for example, a David Bowie song oh, was yeah. in a film. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. I'll tell you what, MCU kill me sometimes with their song choice. They mm-hmm. take some 60s, 70s, 80s classics, they use them, a new generation comes up and says, oh, that's the, the song from this. It's like, fuck. Yeah, you know what, I was about to criticise MCU as well. With uh, Thor Ragnarok, they used the immigrant song. Yeah. So, in the trailer, it's really prominent with all the action sequences. You think, okay, this could be a good film because immigrant song is a very good song to attribute to a trailer. However, in the actual film, it's like on for five seconds for a very non-important scene. Yeah. I'm just like, well, what a waste of a song. It's really, well, kind of put shame to immigrant song, to be honest. Yeah, it does. I think something that happens is they only play songs if it's in a universe where that song exists. So obviously, Immigrant Song would exist in MCU because MCU is basically based in real life, even though there's fantasy going on, it is Earth. So I feel like they can use that because they've heard of Led Zeppelin. I don't know, Tom Holland in a few of the films references Star Wars, Led Zeppelin, whoever. So they do exist, but I just don't always like it because it people associated with the film, which I don't always like. Does it not give uh, young people the chance who may not have necessarily found David Bowie on their own? They, they probably have, but does it not give young people the chance to then explore, like Mr. Blue Sky at the start of Guardians 2, one of my favourite songs of all time? It, it, they introduce it to them in that in that context, which for me elevates the song, and then they go off and explore uh, ELO. Yeah, I think it does. I think it introduces people to it. It's just for me, who's already been introduced. It, yeah, it's, it's not nice, and I, I understand the impact it have for other people. And also, it makes me think, like, take Guardians for example. Why would you use that? Why use a song <clears throat> instead because of using something that's been written for it? And it's like, well, you could say a few things. Say, is it lazy? Or is it, we know people are going to like this. It's an easy thing to do. Whack that in there. Or they could have put ten different songs over that people know. Or is it specifically something about that song which was the best choice? I think with, with, with MCU, particularly the, the universe that I always reference, which is like the 23 films, um, which started from something like Hulk and Iron Man and ended in Infinity War and Endgame. Part of that was, I think you could view it as an entire universe, but you'd also go to each film individually and very randomly with people who had never seen it before. And they, they wanted people to then engage with that set film. So I think part of the reason they use popular music is they want to... Um, can't remember the, quite what the word is, but they want people to feel comfortable when they're watching it or kind of have a rea- rela- positive reaction to it. So the beginning of a lot of Marvel films do have... I think Iron Man 2 had a... Um, it was ACDC, wasn't ACDC, it? ACDC, that's it. Real. Yeah, I was going to say, it was a whole ACDC album thing going on there. Yeah, so that I think we're using popular music, particularly in the start of films, just gives a viewer who might not know MCU... Um, and, and just more more broadly, I think using it in, in films just brings that person maybe closer to the narrative, or closer to the characters, because they're so familiar with the song. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy had an actual very specific uh, intention for the soundtrack. So you know um, the main character gets taken out of his life on Earth, and all he's left with is a cassette player of a certain amount of songs. So what they've done in that film is that they've basically referenced... Well, the kind of vibes, uh, what's the same, Star-Lord has through the music, it's very much, well, it's, it's diegetic because it's always in his earphones. He's always listening to it and well, you've got him, you know, just dancing and kicking monsters and playing with bones in that first scene. Yeah. Um, and it's, well, it's kind of, um, 
it's almost it's almost a fusion of um, let's say the eighties vibes, for example, Vince Cola and New Wave in that area, mixed with the modern form of a space age show. So, for example, let's say um, Star Trek set in, in the very far future, everything's clean, pristine. Star Wars apparently set in the past, everything's rugged and almost degrading. Guardians of the Galaxy combines both of them with this idea of oh. We're in space now in Marvel, but also it's not a very nice space sometimes. And through the music, it's like you've got this guy who's taken out of Earth and put in this environment, and he doesn't really know how to react, so what he's done, he's incorporated everything he has mm. from Earth to understand the world. And although I'm not the biggest fan of how much music they've used in Guardians of the Galaxy, it does establish the modern time mixed in with the time of Star-Lord's youth. Great point. Yeah, I think a problem I've had with those movies and a lot of movies is because they often pick songs that are so well-known, is I just... I'm sitting there in the cinema, I'm just waiting for it to end. And I hate waiting, generally, with anything. I just hate waiting for things. And let's say we were old enough to go and see Lord of the Rings when it came out. You're not waiting for anything because you haven't heard it before. So when you hear... Um, like Ministerith um, theme or Rohan theme, you don't know what it is, so you can't you can't predict it. You can't do anything. So you're just sitting there, you go, oh, and everything is new. When I listen to Mr. Blue Sky, I know this scene is going to last for the duration of four minutes thirty, whatever that the song does. I know how the song goes. I'm just waiting for the song to end, and then it starts. If it was another piece of music I'd never heard before, it would be a new experience visually and audibly. So I could put those together. Where I feel like I'm just waiting. Oh, Moon Ace Daydream, David Bowie was used in this something. Oh, fucking hell, I'm waiting for this to end. I'm just waiting because I know this song. I know it's going to roughly be the same length of the song or whatever. And that annoys me a little bit. Oh, I don't know. I, dis- I disagree in the sense of like, you know, the, you know, the, the beats and, you know, where, where the chorus is. So you can really match up. Oh, that's interesting why, how they've put the chorus into that particular scene where he's, he's just fired that shot. So I think you can really, even more, you can match it up with the action on, on scene as well. Yeah, and your previous point, Alex, about this whole new audience of children who have never heard of ELO, Bowie, they get exposed to music in a very much a different fashion that we would have been exposed to. So they have the uh, the visuals with it. And let's say the intro of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, it's very much... It's just baby group dancing around people fighting. It's like, it's cinematic, it's cute... And, well, for us, we don't remember Mr. Blue Sky specifically for that, but younger kids will remember it to this really cute little tree dancing. And while it might annoy people at our age, um, let's say a good percentage of the audience now from Guns of the Galaxy, the kids are now, you know, interested in David Bowie, ELO, and now there's a whole new generation of people who actually listen to music that's not coming out at their age yeah so two things one thing I say about what you said Alex is that um, I don't think it's any existing songs that can do that I think you can elevate a scene you can punctuate a scene you can do things with score as shown by everyone we've mentioned previously and to Bruce's point I would say I think if you are picking a song based on oh we're going to introduce this to a new audience I don't like that from the director I think if that's really the only thing going for this song, that you are 
picking it because of this bit lines up whereas that could be for any piece of music or because we want to introduce it it's like there's better ways to introduce it because what you're doing is you're tainting the, rep the reputation of that song for everyone else who's listened to it and there's a maybe 20% of people who've never heard that song who you're introducing it to how many of those actually like the song but it's like I don't know I just feel like there's better ways to do it and just to slap a song in there either because it's easy or because it just introduces it to a new audience I feel like there's better ways I think these are just um, I don't think those, the, the, those reasons are the main reason that composers put them in I just think they're like think positive things yeah yeah so, a byproduct yeah but sorry a byproduct yeah so <coughs> they put them yeah you'd like to think that a majority of these films or composers have really sifted through like a lot of song choices and even thought maybe we could compose but ultimately gone with that um but you're, it, some, there could be some scenarios where it is lazy and i think that when you mentioned obviously our reservoir dogs experience where they played you've got a friend in me instead of the title track and then they played chariots of fire theme um i think it just showed to me that you can actually put a lot of different songs in place so instead of Mr. Blue Sky, it could have been something by Queen, that's something quite upbeat, like Killer Queen. That that could have fit quite well. And it doesn't... Mr. Blue Sky didn't fit perfectly, so it just it does imply that there are kind of a whole range of popular music choices that you could make. And oh, I yeah. wonder how they eventually pick it. It is risky to do that, like to put a pop piece into any, any film. Um, what I quite liked about Baby Driver is that um, quite a lot of the music I've never actually heard of before... Um, me being uncultured and all that, but yeah, with Guardians of the Galaxy, they did have a lot of risks with the songs they played, and the Moon Age Daydream scene. I yeah, I thought, well, come on, let's it's buried. Do we really need it in here? It doesn't really suit it. Yeah, other songs like you know the Pina Colada song Escape, that wasn't too bad. It's um, that's quite a lot hard song in its tone anyway, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, it had it. Well, I think it was on when the um, Starlord was just floating through space, and it had the right vibes. Let's say Mr. Blue Sky, for example. It's it's a great song, but yeah, it's it's very weird in the context. It was nice, but I wish it hadn't been hard. used. And <laughs> and I I feel like with Reservoir Dogs, keep going back to that. The reason why that song at the beginning works so well is because no one had heard of it. The reason why You've Got a Friend of Me didn't work quite as well is because people heard of it. Shouts five people have heard of it, right? So if they'd have used a song at the beginning of Guns of the Galaxy 2, which was a, a song, which still had the same beats and still had whatever, but no one had heard of it, I'd be more inclined to enjoy that because I don't associate it with ELO's 97 album. I'm just listening to a piece of music that might have been composed for the film or it's just like a 1940s hidden track. And I think if I was to ever compose a film, I'd try, first of all, not use any songs, but if I did have to use songs, I'd purposely choose one with the director that were relatively unknown, so people had no preconceptions about that piece of music, had no affiliation and no reference point to that music. I think that's a lot better to do, personally. Fair enough. So, <laughs> we'll disagree on that. Um, I did want to speak about the compositional procedures, as mentioned in our module, but I think, just in terms of time, I think it might be good to do a whole episode on that and explore the different, um, it might be interesting, uh, but explore the different different ways of composing and, and the different, like those different timescales for things and different theories of, oh, this is how we think it, it should go, but obviously composers and, and directors are different. So I think that would be of interest. Um, before my, my, my takeaway would be, or my advice would be to people, is that when, uh, based on our Reservoir Dogs experience, I think if you 
go onto YouTube or choose a film that you know really well that has either a, a score already written or a popular song used and instead mute it and play a different song over it and then see how it goes. I think that would be my advice because I've done that a few times since in the last few days. That's been so interesting. It just completely changed for me. I might have a different way of thinking, but it completely changes the narrative. And all of a sudden, instead of being a mob gangsters that are going off to possibly kill someone, all of a sudden they become really nice, smiley men that are going off to a volunteer at a dog's hospital or a dog's retreat, yeah. like Reservoir Dogs. So, and I don't know, maybe that's just the way I think, but. I, that would be my advice. Um, and now, yeah, I'll come on to it. If, if there's any last things, any takeaways from, from you guys before we close off. Something I think would be nice to do for a future episode is to play our three compositions for film. Our, nice. our library pieces. If, if, if I've written it. If, if you've written it. <laughs> we, we did an episode previously where we, me and Alex did that with, with improv. And I feel like we talk about what we did. We obviously referenced the video um, for the the short video one if you want to do that and also for the library music so I've done this this is me play it you do yours and I feel like that would be cool to discuss it listen to each other's hopefully for the first time roughly listening to each other so it's a genuine reaction so I think that'd be cool lovely what about yourself Bruce any takeaways from this episode um well from Charlie's perspective don't use popular music in the film <laughs> <laughs> that's just my opinion Bruce and it's not all just just limit it <laughs> um I think my takeaway is Music and film can be used in so many different ways. The lack of it, the of um, popular music in terms of a nostalgia aspect or establishing the context. And even like um, just orchestral music in general, it being so, well, let's say John Williams, it's just, it is, the music will be nothing, the film will be nothing without the music. And how much it's like the music has built upon the film and then the generations after that. Yeah, my dad's a big Star Wars fan. I wouldn't be a Star Wars fan without him. But Imperial March, it's as iconic as the film itself, you know. Um, so, yeah, I guess just understand that, you know, film is music as well, I guess. Yeah. Do you think we should try and get John Williams on the podcast? That'd be brilliant. Well, he hasn't got a computer, so how are we going to talk to him? <laughs> well, he'd come to the studio. Well, he, we'd have to write something and then we'd have to give it to a motorcyclist who would then go all the way to Hollywood and give it to him. I feel like we could do that. Yeah. I've got a friend with a bike. We could do that. Yeah, <laughs> that could be for the next episode. But yeah, thanks very much for coming on again, Charlie. And thanks for your first debut episode. Yeah, really, thank you for me, Really Max. good introduction. And uh, as I said, I'm sure we'll, we'll come back on in the next month or so and speak in more detail about the compositional procedures. I think there's lots we could um, still touch on that. So that'd be fun. Thanks very much. No worries, mate. Thank you. Ah. Woke up this morning feeling fine.